I'm Jason Hopkins, founder and president of The Connection Project. Welcome to Everyday Brave, a podcast series for emergency responders by emergency responders. We explore real-world issues that each of us face. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and instill hope that we are all in this together. Thank you for joining us on this journey to become more connected to ourselves and others. Let's get started. Today on this episode of the Everyday Brave podcast, I'm joined by Ben O'Brien. Ben is a firefighter, peer advisor, and peer support training coordinator for South Metro Fire Rescue. Also, he has led the development of the Responder Strong Resilience Standards, which teaches and trains emergency responders on skills of resilience, concepts of stress injuries, and the stress continuum model of health, and how to use our values to retire gracefully and with confidence. Welcome, Ben. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to have you here today. So... As we jump in, um, I want to hear about your contributions in the work you're doing around resiliency, retirement, mindfulness. But before we get there, tell us about you and how you got started in in what you're doing. <coughs> well, um, me, I, I got started in resilience uh, just being a human being, I think, and spending right. 20 years in the fire service and going through my own journey like we all do. Life is challenging. And um, I got to a point, uh, honestly – my creation story evolves. I just got to a point where I didn't, I felt like I um, was pretty unhappy with myself, how I was parenting, showing up as a father and a husband and um, wanted to understand more of what, how I was showing up in this way that wasn't serving me. So I was, and that really got that. So honestly, the end of my marriage and that journey after that uh, for some self-exploration and then uh, that's what really got me interested in peer support is when I was going through my struggles, just all the support that, that I got and really the camaraderie and the connection and the similarities I saw with um, all the other people, right? We all sure. have our struggles. That's what life is about. Everyone and, struggles with something. Yeah, exactly. So I, I found it the, the connection involved in sharing that and learning more about it is really what interested me. Sure. So, so how much of that um, that personal struggle that you had, how much of that do you think was related to being a firefighter and doing the kind of work you do and how much of it was maybe not related? That's to a that? great question, Jason. And when I teach and I was just talking about this yesterday, <clears throat> doing resilience training with a local fire department and, you know, this concept of the job creates these changes in us and how we show up and how we cope. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's not effectual. Um, <clears throat> they're unhealthy coping me- mechanisms and so that's um, inarguable. We can, we can show that. But what I think is important where, and where I think a lot of people in this business recoil is they don't want to be feeling like they, they're making excuses for themselves. Right. And so what's really important to me is trying to understand just the full measure of my own like personal accountability and yet trying to understand the impact of the things that I saw on the job and the, the, how that affected my wellness, mental and physical. So – um, that's an ongoing question. I think that my philosophy is that the questions are more valuable than the answers. And right. really just answering that, like how much is me and how much is, you know, the, the gnarly stuff I saw on calls, the sleep schedule, uh, th- those kind of things. Well, and I think a lot of that starts with the willingness to even take a look at it, which obviously right. you've done. And it sounds like you didn't always do, um, which has led you down this path of, of right. a different kind of self-exploration. Exactly. So in doing this work, now that, that you've gotten more entrenched in it, what are, you, what are you seeing responders really struggling with or needing more support with in just their day-to-day work? <clears throat> I think what I see clearly is that responders want to connect with each other. We're right. human beings first. And all of the stuff about being a cop or a firefighter 
or a paramedic can get in the way of that, of like, what is my role as that? And we, so we get out of, we, we inhibit this, this desire that we have as humans just to connect, right? Sure. And on an authentic level, right? I want to be able to be seen by people and not be afraid of being shamed and, and judged and disconnected. So I think just understanding, like, how do you, um, modeling, how do you connect with people? And, and showing people that it's not that hard. There's some discomfort involved in it right. and illustrating to them kind of clearly, like these are probably the things that were layered on top of your, the reasons why you're struggling to connect. So one is that firefighters, cops, EMS, all human beings want to connect and we don't of quite course. know how to. And then the other big model that I see is that I want to teach people how to respond to the stimulants of their environment versus react to them. Right. And when I got on peer support, um, I took over, like, I know Chris Macklin has been on here, right? And he's Correct. been the coordinator and, and I took it over for a while when he had a lot of stuff going on. What I realized is we had this, this is a great program, a great concept. Um, and yet we were still in this reactionary mode, right? We were there. You could call me Jason when you were having a crisis or we had something going on and we would kind of react to it. But the science is known of how the environment affects us and how we respond to it. And if we know it, we should mitigate against it. And so that's what I wanted to do. And that's why I'm in this role now as training coordinators. Like we know it's affecting us. We know what's causing us to kill ourselves at a vastly higher rate, you know, than any other cause of death in the fire service. So let's just start, you know, being real adults and challenging the things that have been, we've been afraid of talking about. And that's code for our feelings, mainly as men, (laughs) um, and get an understanding on it. So um, that's it. Just, we want to connect, help people do that. And let's be more thoughtful and respond to what's going on with this instead of reacting to our environments. Well, I love your approach to respond instead of react, because I do think that that is, um, you know, w- when people are addressing things in the moment, in a in the heat of a crisis, I don't think that you have the same ability to uh, uh, impact them with effectual change long term or sustainable change. You know, it may fix them in that moment, but I'm not sure that it it really, um, somebody's in the place to pull that through around, oh, if I did this as a, a habit, um, it might make me have a better experience so I don't end up in crisis the next time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. So do you think that culturally, um, obviously there are differences between police and fire, but you know, just the culture of you all as firefighters, do you think that that um, – that is different than what other civilians experience in their walk a day life. Yeah, I, I do. And I think for a couple of reasons, one is I think, um, you know, all re- emergency responders have probably heard this from like a civilian or their friends. Like I could never do what you do. Right. And like, you're probably right. And that doesn't mean that I'm great or a hero. That just means that my orientation of what I can see. And, you know, some of us are much better at just, seeing things and fixing problems. And I think that's what we do in emergency response. Number one is we fix people's problems, right? right? And they come in all manner, like emotional, um, physical, fires, whatever. Um, So we're problem solvers by nature, and that's what's different. And then, um, so we, I think we have a lower kind of response threshold, and we tend to be maybe more chill, I'll say. You're not going to find many anxious, brittle people in these these services. And so... um, that is one thing that just kind of sets the culture. But I think when we start labeling on like the expectations, like particularly with firefighters, like of you're a hero. And I, th- I listened to some of the previous podcasts. And I know you and Rhonda talked about this is like 
think that's really more harmful than that. Because, I agree. Yeah. You know, if you go to a psychologist, you'll start talking about what are all your should statements. And I know I live that way in a lot of people. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Um, and so when we start to unpack those things of like, why do I think I should be doing those things? Then I think we're starting to get the awareness that then will allow us to make the changes that are more healthy and productive. Well, it's funny you bring that up about the hero piece because I had a therapist that told me once um, that, you know, the goal from her perspective was to be an average person that does extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start from being an extraordinary person that then has to do average things, I think there's a lot of expectations and shoulds as you talk about in that, that creates this sense of um, you're never quite good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think holding responders to a standard in the community, I mean, obviously you all do heroic work um, and meet people at the worst times of their lives, but you're still humans. Oh, yeah. And you still feel and respond. And to your point, everybody needs to be valued, seen and heard. Um, I think that a lot of what plagues the conversations we're having here is language, Mm -hmm. you know, respond versus react, you know, average person doing extraordinary things versus our hero. Um, I I don't think it's just as simple as language, but I do think there's a vernacular that we all should be, and I'm going to use the word should, evolving to that could make um, us feel better about what we're doing. Yeah, I agree. And I think so you could rephrase that from should is like there's there's a, a possibility to achieve these standards where we're not just surviving our careers and but we're thriving in them. Um, and so that's fine. Like, well, here's the goal. Here's you're able to achieve it. You should be um, you can weather a career in the emergency services in spite of seeing the 190 you know extraordinary right. things that Dan Bright talked about. We're capable of that if we address it. And so there it is for you. There's that green spectrum on that stress continuum right. model. Um, and it's your choice, right? So should or not. But if you see yourself as wanting to be the best, like, human one, you know, or uh, brother, father, son, spouse, whatnot, then there's a model out there. And you can objectively right. more or less look at it and like, huh, am, I, am I behaving in a way that's taking me on that path or am, or am I not? And so beyond should, you can just – I think that's what helps people and that's what I – really try and teach is that we're, we need as, as, as humans something positive to move forward rather than something negative to escape because we're just way more productive. Well, and the model you're speaking about, when you come from that responsive place, you can empower yourself to take action right. versus meeting yourself in some crisis and then doing something that you may or may not want to do. I, I, I think you're spot on in, in the direction you're, you're doing with that. So tell me about the work you're doing with resilience. First off, what does resilience mean to you from your perspective? It's the ability to survive one, right? And that's a given, but adapt and grow from okay. the adversities of life and okay. then allowing us to thrive. And I like to really, when I teach emergency responders, thrive on the job and off the job because they're skills of life. And really sure. they're skills that have been around that have been taught for a couple of thousand years, right? So that's what it is. It's the ability to d- adapt and grow in a healthy way um, through the challenges of life. And then- when I teach that, especially with emergency responders, we just have this whole layer of we have the stress and we have some different things and we have all these you know, traumatic things that we engage with. And so we have to be – it helps us to be more purposeful in understanding what those are, how they affect us physiologically, um, and then we can address them. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, they're life skills. Yeah. Right? Right. So tell me, what does resiliency training look like? 
Um, awareness and choice really is okay. understanding the environment that we're in, right? I think I, I kind of there's that you know the story of you know a fish doesn't know it's swimming swimming in the sea, and so what I'm trying to do and we're teaching is what is the nature of the sea that we're swimming in, right? And that and so that involves just like literally what is the physiological reaction when a human being sees something that's really harmful? They see death or destruction, right? There's underlying whether you're a cop or a firefighter or search and rescue people, you respond as a human being and there's a physiological response sure. and a physiological toll. So that to me is, is, is what responder is what resilience is about. And the more that I've taught at it, um, taught it, I've, I've kind of changed. There's still very, there's a lot of skills that like, Oh, you're having this particular problem. Then let's talk about the skills. But what I find when I'm teaching is I'm talking about connection and connection and connection and how right. to connect. Right. And then why that we want to be moving towards because we know that the number one external variable in resilience is your connection with other people, authentic sure. connection. So, Which, if we really pull back the shade here, I mean, that's something we all crave mm-hmm. as humans. That's not a responder problem or a civilian problem. It's a human problem. We mm-hmm. all want to be more connected. Right. Do you think we are making progress at getting more connected through work that we're doing? Gosh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I hope we I, are. <laughs> no, I, I think we are. And this question comes up um, in a lot of these uh, when I'm talking to people is how do we do it? And and more and more what I've done is I think we need we need organizations like, you know, and we need um, general knowledge that, that come from a podcast like this and like this great sure. movement. It's like, hey, let's think about this thing in a different way, this big concept, and it's not really serving us. And then so we need that supportive environment. Like there's a problem that we haven't productively addressed. And then to really make that change to to help people understand how to connect and like what are the skills of resilience? Because, you know, I can go through the 13 of them right now if you want. (laughs) But um, then connecting with people. And so what I I found, um, like Brene Brown and her work, like, you know, about shame and being and being courageous leader through vulnerability is like what I find is I've bias towards taking risk when I'm talking to people. I try, I'm not, I'm not a dramatic person by nature, but I, I bias towards maybe sharing a little like personal experiences with me so that people can see like, well, this guy, apparently he's not a hot mess, but he's had challenges. He's, he's exhibited behavior that I know I felt because I know other people have felt it. Right. And so I think this, the one-on-one connection in the small group of really modeling that authentic behavior is how we really change it. Yeah, you, you and I agree on that. And and so much of this work that I've done comes from a really painful place. And and frankly, how I got to a different place was telling that story over and over and mm-hmm. over. And I can say this many years later, that story doesn't have the same power anymore. Right. And it became the foundation for me to do this. So if I look back, you know, I always say if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And obviously there is collateral damage. I wish that was different in my own recovery journey. But the fact of the matter is, is it set me up to do this work. And it sounds like it's the same thing for you. You know, from that pain came, you know, where you've evolved to today. Um, I, I love the work that Brene's done and think that she's so spot on in meeting people where they are. Vulnerability is a word we talk about a lot today. Right. Um, I think it's a scary word for most people because they think they're, they're <laughs> going to have vulnerable. to get all in their feelings. Right. You know, I look at vulnerability really a, a little even more high level than that. I think it's just humanness, you know, being mm-hmm. in your humanness. And mm-hmm. I think – we're not trained as humans to be in our humanness. And, um, you know, the work that you're doing really touches on people getting more connected to themselves. 
in an effort to affect change in a broader way, right? Well, yeah, I think when I, you know, when I think about connection, it's one to yourself and the two right. the people around you. Which is the the mission of the Connection Project, you know, right. to get more connected right. to ourselves and others. I will say, like, back to those resilient <clears throat> skills, the one – the thing that I talk about a lot is mindfulness in it. So I was just right. about to ask you. So tell right. us tell us about the mindfulness work because, again, that's another word that scares most people. Right. Well, call it uh, internal situational assessment, you know. Like every, I couldn't even repeat that back to you, Ben. Right. You couldn't? Or, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, so – Every time we respond, whether it's a medical call, whether it's, you know, a, a police officer responding to something, but just like stick with my world of the fire, right? We show up on a house that's on fire. We go over and over again of like, what is the assessment? What is the information that we're looking for? And then that we need to convey so that we can take our next steps. So every time we respond to that, we, we determine the status of that environment that we're in and then the action steps. So mindfulness is just that capacity to start looking to the readily and building the habit of automatically seeing what's going on with yourself emotionally. Like what, what are the emotions I'm experiencing? Why, you know, what are the things that are causing me th- those emotions? What are my thoughts and how are they causing it? And then how am I doing physically? Right. Because right. we are these things that are biopsychosocial models. There's no such thing as mental health and isolation or physical health and isolation or social health and isolation. They're inextricably evolved. So mindfulness is just looking that model and understanding what's going on without judgment. Well, and mindfulness is one of those words that I've learned from my own experience is not something anybody just shows up one day and decides they're going to be mindful. I mean, it, it does <laughs> right. take some training and work. Right. And I think, frankly, that's what scares people about it is right. they don't actually know what it means. Right. You know, so if I had to boil down mindfulness and, and tell me if you agree or disagree, but I think mindfulness is really the practice of learning to get present. Yeah, I totally you know, agree with that. And once you get present – you can affect change in other areas of your life and the mm-hmm. communities that you serve and however that shows up for you. But um, it's not easy work, right? You know, th- there's all these discomforts that come with it. So right. the first exercise I do when I, when I teach is like, all right, everybody sits. You know, I want you to close your eyes because we're sitting down in a classroom. I want you to close your eyes and not think, right? And then I go for a minute. And, and I'm like, well, how was that minute? Did it seem long? And people are like, oh, my God, yeah, it seemed really long. And I was like, was anybody successful not thinking? And everybody laughs like, of course not. I just had this torrent of information in. And it's like, yeah, so that's uncomfortable. And But what that is is just insight into how our brains work as a mechanism. Right. And so, yeah, you just have to get over these discomforts. And almost everybody, Jason, that I've in every class I've talked to about mindfulness, like, I'm really crappy at mindfulness. I can't stop my thoughts. Like, that's just how we start. Well, and I think that that's a journey that takes a long time to get better at, you mm-hmm. know, and really, frankly, I don't know about for you in my own mindfulness practice, it just comes with practice. Yeah. You know, you do get better over it. I mean, I know I schedule time for it every single day mm-hmm. and it's become part of a routine. It wasn't like that when I started, though. And yeah, it was really hard. Um, but now that I why was it hard? For that very same reason that, you know, to sit and be still and not think about anything and, right. you know, being present, I, I say this all the time, being present is the best gift I've ever gotten and it's the hardest thing I think I've ever done. And yeah, I don't, I I don't, I don't know why that is, but you don't think about how easily we show up in life and we're not really present. Right. You know, doing this work like I do and doing work like you do. There is an impetus to be present. It is a necessary part of it. And if you can't find that presence in yourself, I think it's hard to give it to other people. 
Oh, totally. I, I think, you know, we're most powerful in the presence, and right. that's why it feels good. I mean, we are, right? Well, it's all we have, really. Right, right. You know, right. we're not guaranteed more than the present, but, right. um, yeah. I think that, you know, if you can, if people, that I, if they, we can work to get over the stigma of it and just realize that it's uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable for all of us, I find comical how similar we are as adults to teenagers, right? It's the teenage syndrome. I'm the only one that's not out on Saturday night or – I'm the only firefighter that's feeling insecure 20 years on because the stuff that I was kind of psyched to do, I, I'm not happy and I kind of want to avoid it. It's like, that's just not true, right? right? And, and so that's, it's, it's just funny how, as a human condition, how similar we are you know, throughout right. the stages of our life. And, you know, I'm sure similar to me, when I am vulnerable or human and show up and share my story with people, I'm amazed at the things people tell me, whether I want to know it or not. I mean— you recognize really quickly if you'll show up in that space, you are not alone. There are other yeah. people that are struggling with things right. similarly or worse or differently. But that work to me is a real blessing in doing this that you quickly can get validated that you're not alone in the journey. Jason, I mean, that was some of the more meaningful stuff that's really sustained me, especially early on when I would tell my story how. I just didn't have an, any idea how I was showing up. I was like a typical male, right? I right. thought, you know, I feel bad. I know I feel bad inside. So it must be something that, you know, this person's doing or that person's doing or this external circumstances. And through my journey, what I realized is like, no, I, I was just kind of hurt. I was hurting inside you now. Right. And when, and when, I, when I expressed that, I, I realized like I'm a, I'm a very emotionally sensitive person. Sure. And I feel like I have a lot of intuition and what's cool is looking at someone square in the eye, a firefighter with that, and I tell that story, and their eyes dart back and forth, and there's that look of like recognition of like, oh, yeah, that's a big part of me too. Yeah, and so I feel like we're way more serve, you know, similar. Like humans in general, I feel are very, very similar. And then emergency responders, there's a lot of us that had like these really big caring hearts. That's why we got into it, you know. But it's uncomfortable, and so we'd rather train, you know, train on throwing ladders and and pulling hose line and all that stuff, because that's like, that's cool and actionable. And it's not as squishy as the other stuff. Well, and the reality is, is the, the discomfort of doing this work does get easier. It doesn't always stay uncomfortable. You know, it's funny. I was having a bad day recently and I was just, I don't even know why nothing bad was happening. I was in a terrible mood. And I finally just had this moment of realization. It's like, well, wonder if other people are having a bad day. Right. And that's the stupidest thing to think about it. But like, once I reframed it and thought, oh, maybe I'm not the only one struggling today. I just felt this sense of peace around, you know, this will pass. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my famous words in the support group I lead every week is it's now and not forever. And I think that those words serve us really well when we're in those uncomfortable spots. And learning about mindfulness and vulnerability is mm-hmm. it's now and not forever. Yeah. If you do the work, it does get easier. Well, so right there, and this is what I find fascinating about resilience. So a lot of the work and training around resilience has come from you know, the study of positive psychology, sure. which is, which used to be what psychology was out about. But if you think of like what more, most people think of normal psychology, that's getting people from negative five to zero on an operational scale. And positive psychology is what are the, what are the things that we do to get us as a functioning being to go from zero to plus five, right? right? So it's the science of different things. And what it is, is that like, it's now and not forever. So that's reframing. And so what I think is valuable when I would to teach resilient skills and have them listed out of the 13 skills is you're like, Oh, I do that. And that's a skill that makes me stronger and better. And then it makes people understand that they have control over their environment 
and all is not lost. And it keeps them from feeling hopeless. Like, oh, there's, I've been doing that. Is that the skill? I'm like, right. yeah, dude, you're already resilient, <laughs> right? So th- that's something. And you're actually doing something. And just that connection when people realize like, oh, that thing I was doing is actually helping me and it matters. Like, yeah, it totally matters. Do more of it. Well, resilience is a practice. You bet. It's a practice so of skills. You're also doing a lot of work, and you and I have talked about, um, you know, the the lack of preparation many responders have for retirement <laughs> and the transitions with right. that. You're laughing. Right. I mean, right. I, I feel like it's a big nut to crack. Um, let Let's talk about responder retirement. You okay, know, and and what that looks like from your perspective and why we need to. You do know, more. I, well, there's this whole. I think it's a, a cognitive fallacy. Is like the first thought. Like the first thought that comes to our mind is the biggest one. And so people think about retirement and they think about their pension, right? Because it's obvious. And it's also approachable. It's a nice hard number. Right. Um, but really, it's it's difficult to understand of like, what is my retirement going to look on a day-to-day basis? And so people try and create different things like, well, I'll do this. And where, where I like to approach it from are like, what are our values? Like what makes you feel good about the job that you're doing now, right? It's, it's maybe service or, you know, in this this concept of what are your core values? So sure. mine are growth and connection, you know, and creativity and humor. Those are mine. And so and then when you we pick can some look, easy ones. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're what I'm orientated to, they're easy, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And um, that's part of it. So understanding what your values are and then understanding what your strengths are, right? Because we just feel more congruence, more at ease, more fulfilled when we're operating in our strengths. Of course. And then coming at, coming at our retirement from like, well, how are we going to look for that? So I like to use this model, too, revolved around this acronym of PERMA, which is positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. Okay. And so when we have five, those five things at the, at, the, at the level that is good for us, then we feel like we're flourishing. Those are the five things that make up this flourishing a, a broad life. So that's how I like to approach uh, like where you're going to create your t- retirement. Is one, your number is your number. And inescapably, if you have a lot more money in your retirement than, than less, then you have less pressures in some spike. But what we're really, what's really hard is like, how am I going to feel these positive emotions of interest and motivation and joy and on serenity, not just happy, you know, and then what am I going to be engaged in? Because as a human organism, we need to be engaged. We need to have that focused mode. So we have, that's, that just makes us happier. And then where are my relationships going to come from? You know, these authentic relationships. I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, that's one of my big things. It's like, wow, all right, how am I going to replace the relationships that I get in the fire service of just sitting around Because you have a huge network of camaraderie. Right. And I mean, like it or not, I have to show up 10 days a month and sit around with some other people, right? <laughs> you know, and then, and then meaning. Like, and, and, and meaning, when I think of it, is like that's what connects us to, from our present to the past and future. Sure. What have we done in the future or in the past that's, you know, connecting down that? So how are you going to, what, what are the ways that you're going to keep finding meaning in your life? So, and then a sense of accomplishment is the last part. And that's, that's where I think people really get lost is they've, they've connected themselves with being a police commander or a battalion chief or a firefighter. And they and, didn't think about the next steps. Right. And then, but it's really a sense of how do I feel like I've accomplished the stuff that's important to right. me, not what people think I've accomplished. So as an agency, is South Metro taking action towards helping people better prepare for retirement or is – uh, we're working on it. About. I mean, I think the project started from my own journey of realizing, like, I'm a person that gets up and is looking for something to do. I can't do this job forever, so what am I going to do next? So I, for one, I, I hope to never retire. I'm right. just going to work in different things, and maybe I'll be self-directed in the future. And then, yeah, and speaking to um, listening from our operations chief, former operations chief, Troy Jackson, and, 
and Dave Daly, one of our battalion chiefs, they just came to me as the peer support team. We're like, hey, we're, we're seeing that people are not um, retiring gracefully, and then what can we do? And so out of that, I mean, the research is out there. There's a lot of method. Is, so I've, you know, I've created a little program I call Shift Change, and you know, it's, available, it's going to be available online for people to, to work through it. So, you know, I, I, I really admire the work you're doing. I think that it's, it's spot on, it's necessary, it's important. Um, Thanks for I, saying that. Cause that's sustaining, right? Yeah. That- I mean, it is. And, and I, and I'm not just saying that because I think it's really important because, um, you know, especially in the communities that you're serving, you're right. You, you all are trained to do a job that's very active and very intense and, I think in the midst of that, to figure out who you're going to be once you don't do that job anymore, right? that takes a lot of forward thinking right. um, and initiative to start doing that. So I think to plant those seeds earlier um, and, and you being able to be a beacon of hope for somebody to say, you know, there are things that you can do, it just – you don't just retire and then wake up with something to do the next day. Um, <laughs> no, I've talked to plenty of retirees, and that's that's a big struggle for them. I think you know, the the crux is it's just it's you should probably start figuring this out when you're ten years out. So we're forty five. Well, it's interesting. I haven't announced this yet, but we're actually going to do an aging adults um, tribe series in in the at the Connection Project, um, and and the people that I'm most fascinated in talking with in this are not necessarily people that have been retired five or 10 years, although I think their story is valuable and important. It's people that are nearing retirement that are terrified of what comes next. Oh, yeah. You know, I have two parents that are, you know, my dad's retired, my mom is not, and doesn't really want to because she loves what she does. But, um, you know, that that sense of purpose and knowing how am I still going to be a value and of service moving forward, especially, you know, like yourself and being in a job that is of service. Right. I think that's a reality that we've not really addressed head on. No, we totally haven't. Yeah. And, you know, as a culture and, and I think what's particularly pertinent with emergency responders is due to just the nature of our job and our, you know, our retirement plans, be it a pension or defined benefit, we leave the careers in our mid fifties, right. which is early retirement. It is. And early retirement increases your mortality by 90%. Absolutely. So, and because I think you're missing those, those components of meaning. And what I think is it's, you know, it's an opportunity to be entrepreneuristic, if I can. I think I, did I just make that word up? If you did, let's coin no, it let's today. Let's go it. Um, <laughs> ben said it first. Because, you know, a lot of us aren't going to need money. Some of us are, and but more money helps. And so finding right. things to do that are really gratifying. So we're talking about vocations, right? right? Well, and the reality is, is most of you are retiring early enough that if you are inclined, regardless of money, you could have a second career. Right. You know, and this brings to like one thing that's driven me and that I, I just heard it yesterday. And I think it is to kind of put a bow and connect with all of this stuff. It's a reflection of the pressures of this job and the toll of this job is so often I've heard people say, I can't wait to retire and do nothing. Right. And I think that's obviously a reflection of just exhaustion and that they've had about all that they can take of this job. And so the really the only option they see is like not doing anything because they're so right. fatigued. Um, and I just, I, I want to change that because we work best when we're working and serving and connecting. Right. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I've enjoyed our time today. I feel like we could talk a lot longer than this. Um, there's a lot for people to mm-hmm. unpack in this, in this episode. Um, thank you for your work in service, Ben. Keep shining your bright light. And um, is there anything that we haven't covered today that you think that we should? Um, you know, I think one thing that needs to change, Tell and me. this is in the public service space, is we are still looking for people to volunteer their time to bend the curve on this, right? 
And I think we need to start putting the public service space into these need to start putting more money into bringing and training and educating their people on this psychological wellness, because we'll do it. We have the FDIC and we'll do it to bring in trainers to do on fire tactics or whatnot. Sure. And I think we need to start doing it into this, this realm of, of, um, health. And then I think finally, like I'd wrapped up, I like to refer to health as health period, end of sentence. There's different components to it, but we can't be like, we can't be healthy in one regard and sick in two others. I wholeheartedly agree with both of those points. And, and, and we absolutely, you know, as, as much as volunteers are necessary and needed, I mean, let's be clear, it takes money to do all of these, right. these uh, amazing things that we're doing. So um, I think you're spot on. Keep doing the work you're doing. Um, as we wrap up here, if, if someone that's listening is struggling, what do you think is a, a good starting point for them to look for some support? It depends on how bad they're struggling, right? right. Obviously, if they're suicidal, there's the suicide, you know. Crisis uh, lines. Yeah, crisis lines. What's that? 273-TALK, 1-800-273-TALK. So reach out. But the first thing I would do is I would reach out. We want to feel isolated, you know, instead of like we don't want to put our bad news on Facebook or Instagram, but we need to reach out. Everybody I talk to that's had experience with suicide says, I wish they had reached out. I wish I'd known more. And if we want that of them, then we should do that for ourselves. So simply said, get connected. Get connected. I think, you know, just as far as I need a resource to find some things, responderstrong.org, if you go to their resources page, they have a huge list of trauma-qualified, emergency services-oriented psychological care providers. And they also have a link on there that has a lot of stuff that will educate people about the thing that they're, they're struggling with. Ben, thank you for your time. I appreciate all of your efforts. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's been great. We are glad you shared your time with us today. Thank you. If you or someone you know is struggling, we are here to help. You are not alone. The Connection Project has resources that can support you. I encourage you to check out the Everyday Brave digital resource list, which can be found on our website, www.realpeoplereallife.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.